everyone. Hello, dear future leaders from around the world. I'm Ekaterina from Future London Academy and welcome to another episode of our leadership series. And today we have an amazing special guest, Kate Stannis. Kate is chairwoman and global chief creative officer at Saatchi & Saatchi. Saatchi & Saatchi probably doesn't need an introduction, is one of the biggest global advertising agencies with offices across 114 different countries and with over 6,500 employees. Kate has been there since 2005, pushing great work and winning awards for Visa, EE, Guinness, Toyota, Carlsberg, to name the few. And before that, uh, Kate set up a communication company called Boy Meets Go, as well as has been a founding partner at a groundbreaking agency called St. Lips. So would love to hear your experience. What was it like to be the only female creative pair at that point in advertising? And what actually was good about it? I mean, I can imagine there were things that were not so good, but what did you learn from that experience? Actually, you then took through your career and potentially made it unique to your experience. Oh, that's a big question. And it's a long time ago as well, by the way. So it's like, let, let's cast our mind back in a sort of time warp. But I, I honestly didn't think when we, when we started, I didn't realize that it was anything unusual. So you know that was the thing I think maybe that was utter uh, naivety but we kind of um, had a portfolio you know we got ourselves a job um, and I make it sound easy I think we all know getting that first job is is tough and actually even the process of getting a job you kind of learn a lot about who you are and, and what's required it was more sort of we started realizing that it was unusual was because of some of the rejections and I because I, I sort of speak to lots, actually, my nephew, who has just left St. Martin's and is uh, starting his career, he he was devastated when he had a first knockback. And I said, OK, we need to sit down and talk because you the one thing you're going to have to learn is being knocked back. And I think that's what we realised in this first year out of college, sort of going around. We suddenly started understanding that there weren't many all female creative teams around you know in a sort of meeting a creative director and and he sort of said we think you've got a great great portfolio love of the work but we've already got one of you and we really didn't really understand what he's talking about because it was a massive agency it was YNR at the time who were one of the really biggest agencies and um I won't tell you who he was but he you know he, and he said yeah we've already got one and I, and we said but aren't there 40 creative teams and he said yes you know and then it slowly dawned on us that we were a sort of being seen as a niche. So I think to your point, when you're saying, and I think in, in people's heads, they were going, have we got the sort of products that require that? I'm not proud of this either, but sort of we made a point of wanting to work on, on alcohol and beer and, or, and cars and motorbikes because of that honestly rather pathetic but and you know but we sort of we would hate if we were asked to do you know sanitary towels or makeup or or so forth so it but I think it you know and I now I think you know I've come massive full circle I think everyone should be about who they are and being uh their voice is what I look for when 
you sort of form a, a creative business and a, and a creative environment and, and difference is everything. But I realized what we were desperately trying to do was to be the same as everyone else, which was utterly crazy. Um, so we tried to sort of not be too young women in a way. So, you know, it's embarrassing to sort of even say that. But and, and also, I don't think we even realized we were doing it. I think in retrospect, I could turn around and say, you know, that was our behavior. We outmailed the males uh, in many ways. And it was probably that culture in the UK that was the ladette culture. I think we were probably the, the staunch components of it at the time. <laughs> But I think so it was it was seen as uh, unusual. And I remember um, there were a couple of women that I just thought were phenomenal. Um, uh, Barbara Noakes, who uh, was a founder of BBH with John Hegarty, just the most incredible writer. And Susie Henry, who set up an agency. And those were really the two women. And I didn't even realize that I'd got them in my head that I, I didn't, again, realize that they had become important to me and never met them. And in fact, it was years after that I met both of them. And I was sort of, I almost curtsied when I met them. I was so in awe of them. Uh, but, you know, I just sort of hadn't realized I was obviously seeking some kind of role model somewhere uh, and, and actually very rarely came across them. So that was, that was our beginning. I, I love it. And I also love how you talk about trying to fit in, because I think that especially when you're young, that's a very natural instinct to see, well, if you already look different like everyone, um, then maybe at least you can act the same as everyone else or try to mimic what's going on around you just to kind of yeah fit in and make everyone accept you. Uh, and I picked up so many habits that probably I shouldn't have from being in the environment. And I, I studied also physics and math, so I was already used to being the only female uh, in um, in the room. So that literally from the age of seven, uh, that has been the case. But uh, I realized that also gave me a lot of perspective on um, different views and different angles. I always kind of had that split mind in my head of like, huh, interesting, I can see that I am different and I can see what everyone else thinks and I feel like I can give a different perspective just because I clearly think differently. Do you feel like you saw the power that you had at that point as a, as a female creative or uh, were you trying to kind of blend in and understand how everyone else thinks? I think it then... You know, I love what you're saying, by the way, is your brain is a, a left hand, right hand brain that comes together, which actually I think so many of us as creatives are. There's that that sort of logic and illogical sort of yin and yang that we we wrestle with every day that I think often shows up in in uh, the sort of people we are in the places that we work. And it's a kind of unique type of creativity. My little story is uh, my wonderful first uh, copywriter was the person who got me into this bloody industry in the first place by she she stole my portfolio and said right we're going to I really want to go into advertising I was going I really don't and so she she got us um sent our portfolios off to BBH and we got a summer placement there that's when like so she got me into this and then of course I loved it and she was from Liverpool and she said you know what two years in she said I'm really sorry but I just don't like being in London I want to go home and I was okay now I'm here 
But I, I um, ended up working with another amazing writer, Tim Hearn. So we met on a train, bizarrely. I mean, so uh, it, this is a very unpredictable career, as uh, as you'll see. But yeah, we bumped into each other on the train, got talking, went to the pub and uh, became a creative team. <laughs> I left where I was working and we uh, went and managed to get ourselves into a, an agency called Gogrinus Trot, uh, which had an amazing creative director called Dave Trot. Um, he, he still does the most incredible blog. So I always recommend that to people if they, uh, he's, he's uh, hasn't really changed, but everything he says is really relevant as it was whenever he started to know. But uh, the reason I say that is because I think it was there that I started um, getting a little bit more confidence about my own voice. It was quite a macho creative department it was absolutely you know had a sort of very democratic but highly competitive environment so I didn't ever feel I was disadvantaged or advantaged I felt that I was just me and and then I felt that I wasn't being uh I was just being Kate I I had my role there and and he used to come in because I was quite a football fan and quite boxing fan so he would come in and talk to me about football and boxing and uh get me these books on like uh different football coaches and you know say I think you're the only one in this whole department is interested in this and then he'd say oh I'll go and talk to um you know I'll go and talk to the others about fashion or whatever it is so he thought this was highly amusing that he I had more male characteristics than uh the other males in the in the in the department but I think it was I just I just felt that I was able to be a bit more me there and I it just was just you know what it is it's just confidence isn't it and, and I think you're so right in saying it's sort of um a maturing because I when you think of yourself as a teenager unless you are you know amazing I think we go through those phases of not wanting to stand out you, you know and that awful phase where I mean I've never I mean this is my height I'm tiny um but you know if you grow really tall when you're at 14 you don't want to be tall whereas you know later it's amazing to be tall but you, you know it's that you sort of just want to be like everyone else and 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 it takes confidence and learning about yourself to start being yourself and that just comes with age and experience. Um, and if you you as a leader can give people positive experiences, I think you'll get them to be themselves quicker. And that's what I hope that you can do that. That you know, you if you create the right environments where people feel comfortable saying silly things, making mistakes, being a little bit, you know, not being scared of failure. I think you get an environment where people are are more comfortable being themselves you get a more interesting diverse and uh, creative environment and you get happier people couldn't agree more and definitely happiness and creativity are linked so definitely creating a happier and more relaxed environment boosts creativity and, and helps to come up with great ideas you also mentioned Dave Trott which is a legend and at all levels um, an incredible thinker and uh, and creative. I suppose being around him, especially at the beginning of the career, I'm sure you were watching him closely, how he works, what he does, how he thinks. Uh, do you remember anything that you learned from him as being a leader or this creative director that 
you potentially kind of took through your life and through your career with you? Oh my God, there's loads of things and and, and some of them might sound quite outrageous actually now. <laughs> but there, there were loads of things. Uh, one that I, I th- thought was a stroke of genius to, to the point of building your confidence was, you know, the day we were hired, which essentially we were total, you know, novices, really fresh learning. The first thing he did was say, now you're responsible for running a course for young people. And we're like, oh, my God, we are we are the young people. And he said, so you are now going to teach a cohort. And actually, it used to be we used to take the people that DNAD used to run an amazing course, still do. In fact, DNAD run many incredible courses for young people. Um, we used to run a course at GGT for the rejects who never got onto that. And he then said, right, you're in charge of it. So you think you're fresh out of college, really, you know nothing. And you're now being asked to kind of lead a course for six, uh, six weeks, you know, setting briefs, reviewing their work, getting them. And it, I thought that was the most genius thing because it instantly made you start assessing what, what you think is uh, works, tr- articulating it uh, and building your confidence. Um, so I thought that was a genius. I also thought, and I didn't realize he was doing it at the time, I was one of only one other female in this quite big creative department. And I think what he was doing is he was putting a, a different face as the first face that young people saw coming into the agency. And I've I've always done that. So I always put my young female teams or uh, people that are from different backgrounds, people of colour, to be the first face that uh, students might see. Because if anything, we just want this business to be a business where people feel that they uh, have a place. Uh, so I thought that was, I didn't realize what he was doing. It was terrifying as well, by the way, but <laughs> probably learned like 10 years work in, in six weeks. I mean, the other thing that he, I think very much as you're talking about, his brain is extremely logical. So he kind of taught us to be planners. Uh, he taught us to really interrogate the chat, interrogate the problem and uh, and be quite brutal about interrogating what we're being asked to do. So even if we were fake, given a brief, we would kind of work with planners, almost unpick it and start again. So he was he was really, really uh, good at that. And he would get to something incredibly singular. He would then be rigid about you delivering work to it and not deviating from it, and he'd be brutal about reviewing you. He also always talked at the time uh, about, you know, we're we're here to make work that gets talked about. So it's not about winning awards or whatever. It's work that gets talked about in pubs, in school playgrounds. At the time, there was not a social platform, but essentially, you know, stuff that has social currency. And then finally, he was, it was an environment that was extremely competitive. And I do think the balance for me is is creating uh, agencies that are nurturing and encouraging, but also have this, a bit of competition. I think it's healthy. Uh, I think there is, but it's that fine line of letting those two things exist. And when you and, say competition, what did it look like, and what did it what did it feel like? I think 
I mean, there it was pretty brutal. It was very visible. You, there were a wall which had your name on it. We, if you were with the first, last in, youngest, were at the bottom, and there would be like I don't know, thirty names on that. And then if you got a piece of work that he liked and reviewed it, it, you might find yourself coming in the morning. You might have skipped up one. If you got something in production, you might have skipped up two or three. Uh, and so you'd find yourself in this really brutal environment. He would call a review every six weeks where he just pulled in all your work that you had being made. And then he'd sort of, it would come out of the office to say, okay, the, the bad news is he wants to fire everyone. <laughs> the good news is, except you. It was like, oh God, okay. So now you're now elevated to really senior team when you've got no, you know, it was just a bit crazy. Uh, but it, but I think personally, I thrived in that highly competitive environment. I don't think it is for everyone. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not necessarily advocating that extreme um, and we all knew what we were signing ourselves up for when we when we did it. And I, unbelievably, there was almost this real sense of individual competitiveness and yet a collective kind of sense of agency and then being competitive with the rest of the uh, the industry. So it was it was quite an interesting dynamic that was created. Wow. I love it. I've never heard actually about <laughs> a brutality of a creative industry from that point of view. Um, interestingly enough, now that you've started talking about this, I remember that actually one of the first design company that I worked in also had a wall and every week we had review. So everyone, but they would launch a brief every morning and everyone should have needed to come up with an idea by lunchtime. The whole idea wasn't about the specific like visualization skill or anything else. It was just the brutality of good ideas. And everyone who had to either print it out or draw it on paper had to be visual. And then it would be put on the wall and the art director of that studio was brutal. He would just say, this is crap, this is horrible, this is awful, who came up with that? This is even worse. I suppose the silver lining there was because you only spent the morning doing it. You never felt too attached to it or uh, felt like it was personal. But know, it was I, that's, I think that's, a, that's actually another thing. I think that's really interesting that, you know, that sort of process of, because I do think as creatives, one of the things we have to learn is rejection because you are, you kind of lay yourself bare a bit because it's your ideas that you're, you're kind of having to express and then suddenly it's free for all for everyone to say their shit, you know, and, and it's like, oh, my God. But I love what you say, that sort of sense, because we do some of that have open briefs uh, where, you know, that you kind of inviting a bit of um, freedom in terms of idea generation. And one of the things I, I notice, I think, particularly at St. Martin's that they they do as a sort of process is is much more. Yeah. You presenting your work to a group. Uh, I mean, which I think is terrifying as a student, but it's quite because it's terrifying as a professional, I know. But I, I think that somehow getting over that, and I love what you say, if you've only spent a couple of hours on it, you kind of go, okay, you know, I always say to people, ultimately, what is brilliant about you is you you will always have another idea. You know, you've got that type of brain. So you're always, this is a bottomless pit where, you know, it's a mine that you can keep mining. Uh, and and it's not going to dry up. So always think of that talent. I love this. And uh, yeah, definitely 
we should bring more um, ease of uh, feedback to, to, I suppose, teams. And I think that's a fine balance between creating an environment that people feel scared of criticism versus a competitive environment where everyone wants to try again and again and again and actually eventually get the praise. Because, again, I remember when you would actually get the praise, because it was rare, very rare. Yes, you it's get- great, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it's it's a value. You know, I think this is saying rarity is a value, isn't it? I mean, I mean, you know, sometimes you could be on up to seven different projects and he would review them every day. Sometimes it would go, it would start being reviewed once a week and then it would be when things, he hadn't seen something he liked, it would go to dailies. And sometimes you'd be reviewing five different things a day uh, and I remember once working on something, I think it was a beer like wholesome pills or something. And I remember at the end of the day, it was our fifth time in on the fifth different thing. And I just walked in and he just went, is it great? And I went, well, what do I say to that? If I say it's not, you'll say, why are you coming in? And if I say it is, you'll say, no, it's not. He said, okay, Kate, you can only say that once. You can go out and come back tomorrow with something that's great. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. This is brilliant, brilliant. Well, it does prepare you for the reality of the world when talking about being a chief creative officer and being at senior positions. You will hear a lot of very harsh feedback from clients, from CEOs and CFOs and other people who definitely don't want to soften it up for you and just want to, say things as they are so I think building up that uh, um, character throughout years definitely helps and you did it uh, in various environments and that's what I love about your story you you co-founded agencies you work in agency you worked in different sides of companies so can you tell a bit more about these different environments where you worked and what was different about you as a person who had to look after the team in let's say company like St. Luke's that was slightly smaller but uh, again had great ideas versus huge organizations where you were found versus where you're a hired person what were your reflections on different environments where you had to lead people you know I think I mean St. Luke's was my first experience of of proper leadership Um, you know I think we we set out as a group of of people to to very much be about um, a team so it was never about an individual it was never about you know there was a clue in the name being St Luke's it was a break away from you know the Bartle Bogle Hegarty it was a it, it, it was it was always about the collective it was never about the the I and uh I and I think that was sort of we firmly believed we, we used to say we're we're co-owned, not co-run. So we were a very unusual ownership model and much more like um, a partnership, which is more familiar with design or actually in the legal business, but hadn't been in an advertising agency. One of the things we did very early on was we said we would not enter creative awards. And that was, again, um, deliberate uh, setting a, a sense of environment that, that we weren't chasing uh, creative awards we were there to do and we because we felt we wanted us to be honest about the solutions we came up with our clients for our clients problems we didn't want to be have a, a preset idea of what might be a direction to go in uh because you know because I think you you, you kind of you can see that now when you I mean I'm, I'm sure lots of us sit on creative award panels and you know stuff that has been made for an award rather than really made. 
Um, and I think we didn't want that. So that was one of the things that was quite crucial to the environment we created. The other was we uh, we didn't have offices um, and the only rooms we had were for our clients. So they were themed, like we had the IKEA room, which you can imagine had the IKEA furniture. We had the Radio One room, which was like a mixing, like dark, horrible studio where all sorts of unspeakable things would happen um, uh, at night. Uh, we had the uh, makeup uh, boots room, which was 17 makeup, which was like a teenage bedroom. Uh, we, you know, we had Eurostar, which was a trained like seats and so forth. So we we kind of had rooms that were for, for our clients. Again, that, that created a very different, you know, so no one was more important than the client. And, and I think that for me was a real sort of sense, a shift in my, my understanding, my responsibility. Uh, so I think it was, you know, creating a, a place that you wanted to be surprised by the own, your work you produced. So what we would love at the end of the month when we shared work, that it was so different from one another, that we would learn from each other, that you would just sit next to someone who would be, you know, brilliant at one thing and you just start talking. So it was an environment that was very serendipitous in how it worked. Whereas I'd been used to working in a place where the creative team had a door it shut and you just sort of bounced ideas off one person. This was sort of like a, a, a sort of multiverse of chaos going on. And it was very chaotic. Um, and I loved that. I found it a very, a very nurturing uh, place. That there was, uh, everyone had a voice. Uh, everyone's voice was heard. There were forums that everyone's voice could be heard. So I think... Those were really extraordinary things that we did. This is amazing. And I, I love the idea of different rooms for different clients. And uh, it sounds that's what creative industry was, what where I wanted to work. That's what I imagined it, it should be. And I wanted it to be. So that definitely seems like a dream come true. But in terms of going back to the question of feedback, because you mentioned reviewing work, as we just discussed how brutal of a feedback you had to experience when you were establishing your career path. What's your current approach to giving feedback now that you are in a position of giving feedback uh, and how maybe it develops throughout years as well? I love looking at work. I mean, it, it is still my very, very favorite thing I do. Um, and I love reviewing work with teams. I think my approach has always been, even when you know it would be much easier just to go, okay, uh, it's all shit start again I spent I do spend time going through everything and I always try and find something in there I don't know if that just makes life it, it I and I usually think there is something in there sometimes it's a phrase someone said they might not it might not even be in the work they're presenting it might be in the conversation as you talk and make them feel ownership of it even if it's something that's come out of that team dynamic you know I think things that have changed or I feel Having got, and I don't know if it's a transition from being a creative when your job is to, you know, almost be the machine that comes up with the the idea and and the solution to being a, a leader. But what I do, I do think is listening, really listening to what's being said. It might not be what's on the design or what's on the chart or what's in the deck, but listening to a conversation that kind of can happen around it, and and then guiding that. 
So giving people a sense of ownership, um, because I think if people have a sense of ownership, even if it's, uh, you know, that they will go away and make it theirs and have a sense of responsibility to deliver as well. And that was St. Luke's. We were very much about making people feel responsible. Um, and, and it's funny, isn't it? it? No matter how, I think as yeah, as a leader, when you're when you're encouraging talent, one of the things you can do is not give them the sense of responsibility. Uh, because it's easier to take that on yourself. And actually, I think people feeling, you know, feeling the stress of not delivering, feeling the, you know, I mean, one of the most terrifying things I remember was the first shoot I ever did. And I knew that it was a huge, vast amount of money that the client was spending. And I just felt, oh, my God, like I am responsible for coming back with all this imagery. It's just me. I just, you know, I just felt the weight of their of their business on my shoulders. But uh, I think that's quite healthy to just really understand. But do you think that there are people who thrive in that environment of responsibility and competitiveness and pushing someone to the edge? And I'm totally on that side of things. I love when I'm battling against the world and I need to deliver it to tomorrow. That's like the environment where I thrive. But I also noticed that there are people who actually get completely overwhelmed in that environment and completely freeze yeah. so how do you deal when you have different types of people in the team those who actually can yeah get, can get completely uh, shattered by yeah pressure? I think that's such a good point I mean I I don't know um what I mean, I thought one of the things that happened in the pandemic that we, you know, we are all in. A, I, I don't know if we have anyone here for, on from China who, you know, I know you're still going through interminable lockdowns. One of the things I thought was quite interesting with a lot of uh, creative teams that I work with, they actually said, I because I hated not being in an environment where I'm feeding off, uh, as I say, serendipitous uh, interactions which I just don't think this kind of culture can do. It's, it's, it's kind of quite formula. It's for, you know, it's, it's diaried. It's, however, a lot of our, our creative people said, I love it because I've got time. I have a moment which is organized and then I go away and I've got time to really sort of work with my ideas. And a lot of us are introverts. And, you know, that, that is a way of where you get your energy. It's not just being quiet or shy. You know, so I think um, I, I was really surprised by that. The amount of people that said, actually, it gave me space to just go away and think and work quietly. And I like I quite liked that sort of able to control my own environment a bit more. Um, and I, I thought that was quite interesting. But I think you're right. Not wanting to talk about football too much, particularly because of what happened the other night for England and Yvonne from France on here. I've had to do several meetings with France today, and I've been very magnanimous. You'll be pleased to you'll be pleased to know. Thinking about a, a bench on a football team, you've just got different roles and different you know, and it's either you know playing to people's strengths and and that's as well as their output, but understanding what makes them tick and what makes them comfortable, you'll get the best out of them. If you are reviewing work I found you know sometimes I've been reviewing work with a team that just is really uncomfortable in a broader forum so then I will make sure that we do that on our own and prep them so that they can then present to a, a wider forum or you know small things like that but just being and just getting to know people a bit you know 
actually going for a coffee, going for a drink, or and and the one thing I think we have a benefit as creative leaders is you're often reviewing work. So you're with each other a lot. You spend time literally talking about work, which is highly personal, actually. And in doing that, you learn about each individual and and you and I always at least spend the first 15 minutes of any meeting, which bores the hell out of everyone talking shit. So we all find out, you know, who's just done what and who's cooked what or who's been, you know, because I think you just want to find, you know, just I think it's helpful if we all know a bit about each other. Oh, I so agree with you. And I just when you were talking about how by reviewing work and talking about work, we realize how much time we actually spend together and learn about each other. And I realized all my friends from any sort of job were from obviously designers and everyone who you work with, because you do spend time literally talking about things you're passionate about, which in this case is design and creativity. So even though you are doing work, but you just essentially spend time talking about things you like. It um, is. It's it, And also, I think in that environment, everyone is equal because you like you know, you will have, because people are bringing, and this is why I say people having the confidence to bring their own experience to the table. You know, some people have a kooky passion for a certain, you know, illustrator that I would never have seen, or everyone is learning. You never stop learning. Everyone can bring something to the party that is interesting or of interest, I think. Love it. And I would love to talk to you, Kate, about the main topic, which is Chief Creative Officer. <laughs> you are a Chief Creative Officer. So first of all, what do you wish you knew about the role before you became one? Someone could have warned you about or told you that would have prepared you better for your first, let's say, few months as a Chief Creative Officer. You alluded to this before, which is, you know, I've, I've worked in so many different environments um, and uh, in, in different roles and and. You know, I, I currently sit uh, within the publicist group within Saatchi's. And even within that job, you know, I have uh, probably three or four jobs sitting there just because I, I sit within this sort of network. But when I moved to Saatchi's, I was uh, hired to be the chief creative officer of London. And that was it was really different. And I just I can remember the the fear. <laughs> of stepping in from you know I'd been in small boutiques before I'd really rejected this idea of going to a big agency I turned the job down four times and they were kind of persistent and convinced me um that I was right for it and it was right for them and and I'm so glad they did uh, because I've adored every minute of it um but I think I was absolutely terrified I, I hadn't set, stepped foot in the agency because it was all secret. I walked into this very famous Charlotte Street that even taxi drivers knew. Everyone, you know, has heard of Saatchi and Saatchi. And like my dad, even my dad said, you know, thank Christ for that. You're finally working at a, an agency that hasn't got a stupid name. Uh, I was just like, thanks for the encouragement. Um, but, uh, you know, and I, I walked in and there were 350 people in the reception looking at me and I was just and I had to say hello and say what I was there to do. And I, I in that moment, the enormity of it sort of hit me with Jesus Christ, you know, this is what leadership is. 
And I hadn't realized, and it was a very hierarchical environment that I, I, I have sp tried to spend years knocking that down and inverting that. But I found it really unusual coming from a place like St. Luke's where we had totally sort of created a, uh, a flat structure to, to be the, the sort of word that everyone hung on or waited for. And nothing happened until you, I didn't realize that was happening. I just assumed people would ignore me. And because, you know, that's what we did at St. Luke's. And I suddenly thought, well, I said, said to someone, why hasn't that happened? They said, because you didn't sign it off or you didn't do, I was like, oh my God, or you didn't say this. And it suddenly I realized that you were sat at the top of something, of a machine. And I, I spent you know the next five years knocking down each one of those walls I, I mean literally I tried to knock all the walls down and they wouldn't let me so because the building would fall down apparently um but it, it was a process of trying to sort of decouple that kind of structure to create an environment that I believed was was um less rigid and a, a, afforded more collaboration across discipline and capability. So in answer to your question, I suddenly felt you're leading an agency, not just a creative department. You're running a business and you are in service of clients as well as uh, the well-being of the people that you work for. So you, you're kind of, I suppose I've always had this sense I'm going into battle a bit for my people uh, to make sure that they are happy, that they get the work that they want to work on that they are rewarded in the round by being able to make great work, by not be, being in uncomfortable situations, hopefully earning a, a decent and fair uh, living as well. Um, so I think just sort of, sub and, and realizing it is just not about you anymore. It is just, you know, and I think I said to this, we were chatting, weren't we? One of the great things someone, a creative director said to me, we're actually at, at Gogolinus Trot, his name was Dave Waters, he's one of the creative directors there. And he just sort of said, you know, Kate, until you're big enough to give it away, I not want my name on the piece of work I've made, to be anonymous in the process, then that's when you're ready to step up and be uh, a leader rather than someone who feels they need affirmation, is what he was saying. And and I kind of think there is some some truth in that. I think sort of leaving your ego behind when you get to a point of leadership, because we've all got them. And, and you know, it's not a bad thing either. But I do think in the end, trying to realize it's not about you, it's about everyone else. That's yes. that's how I think about it. And but also recognizing that that people want to know what they're being asked to do. So there is something where being clear, setting clear parameters, clear expectations of what sex, success looks like for an individual as well as an agency. I want to just jump on the thing that you said, because I find it incredible what you just said, but also very paradoxical about the fact that to be at the top, you need to leave your ego behind, which I suppose for a lot of people is the reason of getting to the top is because of the big ego of being at the top. And the the thought that the only thing that will make you successful there is actually stopping thinking about yourself. How did you do it? Because as creatives, we all go for the creative job partially because we like our name of, on the work. And I think there is a big ego in the creative industry in general uh, because that's something you create. Um, so how did you leave yours behind? I, I found it really hard, you know, and I find it hard every day sometimes when I 
don't find my name mentioned amongst my peers when I kind of know I've done all the things they've done or whatever but then I haven't I haven't wanted to court that either because I've just felt and I, I do think it's paradoxical because and I recognize that and it and I, it's sort of me rather than you know advice for everyone to follow but I think it comes from that that's how I feel comfortable but I also recognize that it's important for the people that work with you to feel your success in the in the world as well because it makes them feel good um and and also you're able to help them and you're able to um they they feel proud to be part of that that squad if you like so I I recognize that um and I think I also recognize as a, a woman creative leader a, a time when there weren't so many I probably didn't go out of my way to do because I felt it was um, blowing my own trumpet and talking about my own ego. So I didn't go out to be a role model for people. And, and maybe that was actually incredibly selfish because maybe at that time people did need to see more women in those situations. So I, I recognize that this isn't necessarily the way to do it or, but I do think I, I want people to have their working experience if, if I'm responsible for a place I want them to have the best working I want them to look back in years to come and go that was the best working time of my life and they wouldn't do it they, and they will do it because it was about them it was about them in a team and it was about the, the the collective success as well as their individual success and I don't think they'd feel it if they they went, oh, Kate went and, you know, stood on stage and and claimed all our work. You know, it just I don't think that's very healthy for people. But, you know, I know other people do it differently. Uh, and I, I sort of I, it's, for me, I'm very visual. So I always think I, I've spent this time sort of like you say, there's this sense you're climbing a ladder. You're getting to the top. You're getting to the summit. And I've sort of just gone right. Just invert it. You know, so in the end, you're supporting everyone else. And maybe there is a moment where you decide to do that, you know, where you just go, actually, I feel much more comfortable doing that. I think that that really relates to so many other things in life in general, in the industry of the, the balance, choosing one versus another. And I think at every stage in your life, you, you make those decisions. You can't focus on everything. You can't focus on your own career and, I don't know, representing the industry and speaking engagement and everything else, because then you won't have a career or it could be, again, family and, and, and life. I think you might work hard at some point, but then you might reprioritize things and prioritize family a bit more so you kind of balance it out it doesn't mean you have to choose one and forever but every point you need to think at this point today or this week or this year this is what I'm focusing on because I want to achieve that or I can see friends more and therefore I will spend less time at work and that would be the choice and I think it's important to understand for yourself what for you is important not what someone else pushed at you so therefore you won't have regrets I think that I think that's it and I look this comes from I, I guess it comes from it comes from grow, uh, getting old you know it comes from you know I had uh, my son when I started at Sarches and I the reason I turned the job down four times was not just because it was a massive agency and I was like do I want am I entering into the corporate world now and I, I didn't want to do it it was a little bit of that but but actually I didn't feel I could give my 200 percent to 
the agency. And I always believed that's what that role should be because I had always given 200% and I couldn't see that I could do the role properly. Without doubt, my, my priority in my life had changed 100% to this little this little boy called Otto. And I just had to work that out, you know. So when everyone said to me, we understand, we totally understand that that is a priority. I felt okay about it and, and we will support you in that. You know, Christ, I'm not the only parent to be working, you know, but I sort of felt I couldn't do both properly. And uh, I just felt like I was going to let the agency down. And of course, as a mother, you and a parent, you are, you you end up knowing that you're always letting someone down. So, you know, and you got to you kind of got to get your head around that. But I think those those are things. And and they are priorities and, and they are things that you start working through. And you're right. What what kind of leader do you want to be? What What's going to bring out the best of you and bring out the, the best of the people around you? You know, none of us want to be leading something that isn't as good as it possibly can be. Uh, you know, I, I I think no one in that position is, is without uh, desire, ambition and drive. But I do think finding what makes you better uh, and being a little bit more dimensionalized if that is a word you know sort of probably makes you better at it I certainly think I became a better creative director after I became a mother because for one I, I became marginally more organized just marginally I did take my son to school when he was you know when they went we've broken up for holidays I'd be like oh okay and lots of stories like that but I think we've all done that I suppose that's the ultimate creativity giving birth to another human. So I think it's definitely um, contributes to more ideas and more creative uh, outcomes for sure. Higher, slow, fire, fast. Do you agree or disagree? I disagree, probably. I, I mean, this is a real, I, I was looking at it, it, it sort of in the corner of my eye and I thought, well, I really, I, I think I hire fast. I have a real instinct and, and it's, I'm sorry, it's not a good look, but I just feel someone or not. And it's, and it's really hard for me to change my mind. Um, and then I really want to work through, um, and I think this is, you know, I think probably all the rules of leadership say you need to act fast if something isn't working. I think that's probably my, my weakness. I will try and find solutions uh, and sometimes that's been really successful, actually, you know, move, helping someone move into some, somewhere slightly different, finding opportunities. Uh, I mean, I'm very lucky in, in my role. I, I get to work with lots of places around the world and also lots of capabilities. So I often think there is some somewhere else. So I sort of try and work stuff through a bit and, and give people the chance. But I think that's probably I'm, I'm the inverse of that. Which is fair. I don't think there are correct answers to this question. Oh, what would you pick? Great team and an average idea or great idea and an average team? Great idea, average team. <laughs> because I think ultimately, I think a great idea makes a team bet better. Like, I think, you know, if you start producing average work, no one ultimately feels great. Um, that's where I'm well, that's cheating. So, <laughs> <laughs> but 
but you know if you have a great team i don't believe they're going to do an average average idea either but also sometimes it's not just kind of general but not every idea is always great like yeah. as an agent of the company you sometimes have to produce ideas that are good they're not and you know that's one of the things that we always talk about i always say to people you know i mean the dirty word you know is um compromise and, and you know we see that as a dirty word and actually when you think about politics politics successful politics is compromise you know compromise isn't necessarily a bad thing and and also that I always like to sort of go every find something that you're going to learn about within a project and then any project no matter how bad will be good like if you can get if you can spot something in it if it's um you know if you're going to try and deliver something with with say new technology that you're you would like to learn about or put a new team around you to work with so it might be that the project ultimately is fairly pedestrian but but you you will and the team will maybe get something out of it um in order to build on so i think sometimes the process can be in itself a win um uh so i i do think that or or you know just work with someone collaborate with someone you you've wanted to collaborate with you know and uh so it's find, find something within it that will be a positive that's a good advice so ideal size for a creative agency and again there is definitely no right answer to this one but you personally kate if you had to create an agency tomorrow of any size with a magical wand uh with the best people obviously amazing team there which size would you prefer 2 to 10 11 to 20 21 to 50 51 to 100 100 to 300 um, well what was funny at St Luke's we had read that um gorillas sort of form these sort of relationships with only 70 70 other whatever they are and so actually we thought there was actually a natural sort of grouping so it's probably in the 51 to 70 it's 100 or falls within the 50 but where you can have there is a humans can really have a, a proper human relationship so for me that's the I that forms the right size for me somewhere between those two um but where you really feel that you know your your team and uh you get to know them and work with them so and it's it's interesting isn't it I always say to um I was talking to uh someone at work the other day and I said you know why why don't you with it you know get try and force yourself to work with some other people see who you think's doing cool stuff go and talk to them and get yourself working with them you know ask your manager and and also I always said do your fantasy startup who are the people here that you would like to go and start a business and and work with them and see you know so I do think for, uh, forcing people to kind of I think working together in a in a human way for me is the perfect thing so I'd probably be somewhere in the middle of 50 to 70. Yeah I think there are definitely more dimensions to this than just size that's for sure um, this is a very simplified poll but it's very interesting to hear your thoughts behind each answer as well higher for skills and culture will follow or higher for culture feet uh, skills can be learned. I think skills can be learned. I, I really do. And I think, I mean, partly because if you're hiring, you know, out of college, they clearly won't have you know, skills, they, but they have something about them 
uh, and an approach. So I think that is, and I think this plays to, you know, for cultural fit, it's about the person they are. I do think they, that brings something really interesting. And I think I'm always looking for something I don't have. So it's a bit like, you know, just I don't want to replicate and have more of the same. So I think that is the case. Now, something that you don't have could be a skill. So it could be that. I think you can learn skills and I think you can, you know, give people the opportunity to learn them. I mean, obviously, you want someone who gets something that fits in a team. If you're if you've got a gap, you know, if you if you want a um, a creative technologist or something that's just going who's going to work really well with a a narrative creative or something. So you are, but that's you know part skill and and actually the reason that they are good at that is because partly because of who they are. You know, it, it one begets the other in a way. That's a fudge, isn't it? Yeah, but what about? senior positions because now you are at a role where you have to hire a lot of senior people and I told yeah. you at the junior level you don't you can't expect any skills and they can be learned in in a month if you need to yeah, yeah. senior is I, I sort of take it I mean it's about the work and how people talk about the work initially so I mean I would not be hiring people that I didn't admire the sort of work they've been attached to I think that's one of our luxuries in the creative industry that that there is this thing that we make or a part of that we you know we make things we produce things we put things out in the world and so there is an opportunity you want so I'm drawn to people who are associated with with the sort of work that I find interesting and amazing and and sort of understand that that is in their in their kind of gene pool that that they've kind of got that memory muscle to do that type of work because that might be something you try and bring in you know so I think that's interesting and and I think if you are bringing you know like my uh the creative director I hired in London a while ago I I literally went I think I spoke to people in Australia in South um, uh, in South America in, in Argentina in Brazil in South Africa um in Singapore in the US I literally and I whittled it down to four people, uh, two were Brazilian, one was Argentinian, and uh, one was American. And I, I went over to the States and then Headhunter said, oh, there's one other person who doesn't want the job, has just left. They don't really know what they're doing. They'd quite like to just meet you for coffee. And of course, I'd, I'd spent six months doing due diligence I sat down with Guillermo I fell in love with him I just said you're the person <laughs> I mean totally irrational but he was culturally right he he had drive he had energy he had every you know his work was great but it was his personality of of how he wanted to make work and the energy that I just thought that's what we need I love this story. This is, yeah. <laughs> no, I just think everything I do is wrong. So please don't. I just found myself just saying yes to things and, and enjoying, the, enjoying the ride, really. Well, clearly you were doing wrong things right to get to where you are and achieve everything that you've done. So whatever that recipe is, it's the right recipe of wrong things. So I love it. What do you think is number one responsibility for a chief creative officer? Is it winning project and bringing revenue? Is it creating vision for creative team? Pushing quality of the creative work? Hiring great talent? Creating culture that supports great ideas? Uh, overseeing team operations and budgets? or anticipating future direction of the industry? 
you can think about it. Uh, one, I think it's, as you say, what's the number one priority? Because actually it is all of those things, isn't it? And which is why you've got them on there. And they are uh, all the things all of us, are, you know, all of us on this call are wrestling with. You almost have this little graphic equalizer, don't you, of, of balancing out. And that's your job all the time, balancing out, you know, the hiring, the money, the, I do think uh, a vision, you know, I do think, but I, I don't think it's for the creative team. I think it's for, the whole business you know I, I think that is I think with that will mean that you're pushing you're, you're, you're setting the north star then I think you can't leave people to that then you've got to to help you know because I always say it's like an elastic band you know if you step forward to your vision you know you can either just let it ping back or you have to bring that elastic band with you so it, it is a bit of if you set that vision how do you then bring people with you and uh you know raise that quality so i do think then culture really plays and that they're the two i i mean i agree with the poll really you're two strong ones that feel like for me creating the vision and and creating the culture Brilliant. And I, interestingly, the least popular answers were hiring great talent and uh, overseeing team operations and budgets. No one likes budgets in, in, in this call uh, and uh, winning projects and bringing revenue. Actually, I, I want to argue with that one because I think, especially at the sea level, that must become at least one of the external priorities that you yeah. have. You personally might not feel that is a priority. I, I mean, I agree. And I think I think it's it's when you sort of say, and, you know, this conversation is about shifting from creative director to chief creative officer or, or or in many ways that sort of responsibility where some of us see ourselves from creative to CEO type roles. And, and I think for me, one of the real shifts has been in understanding my partnership very often now is with my client. Um, and so you sort of step outside the infrastructure of the agency and recognize that, you know, a lot of what I do is is that my partnership with my clients and uh, being their partner in order that then, you know, that the agency, you know, has the, has the projects to work on and it's built, but also sort of helping to set the visions, not for your own business, but for their business. You know, I think you're absolutely right to call that. It's, um, you know, there's a sense as a creative director, you are working with the creative teams, you're setting the vision. I think that shift as a, a CCO goes into creating culture for the agency, not just the creative, you know, and, and then I do think your responsibility does become a bit more operational and having uh, a sort of, you know, I can read a spreadsheet, but uh, I, I can't say I, I enjoy it. But uh I did ask one, I did also to do a job swap with our financial director once. And, and he said, well, what do you do? I said, I'd put, I'd, I'd put it all on black. And he said, okay, we're not doing that job swap. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, thank you so much, Kate, for bringing your perspective to, to this call. And um, definitely great to debate those points because um, I don't think there is a right way to do it. But uh, I think it's uh, interesting to hear everyone's um, perspective and it is a balance and it's an everyday balance of juggling different responsibilities kind of reflects how difficult the job is. Uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about the role of chairwoman as well because you're not just a creative officer, chief creative officer, you're also a chairwoman and that's a complete mystery to me. So tell me more, what does it mean to be a chairwoman? <laughs> it's a mystery to me as well. So 
um the the role of chair is is very different in different organizations and you know it it has a a very meaningful and operational role in in lots of organizations i think within the creative community uh, and creative businesses it, it's often um a role that is allocated um as symbolism in one way to say that create that role of cco uh, or creative an individual who has had a career as a creative person is at is at the center of the business and so that opinion is important to that business i think i think that's one of the the reasons that you find often a creative leader as in in that chair role and so it's not it's a, it's a bit different to other businesses in terms of the role it's it is about inspiration i think it is about setting a vision and setting culture but it's it's about sort of convening people around some of those things as well it is different it's um a job of influence rather than ruling with a, a sort of um a spreadsheet and and, and a pnl in many ways you know so it's about what is important to the business what we believe uh, our product is um how we make it better how we how we create the best culture in order that we produce uh, the most uh, dynamic and exciting work and and how we recognize our role i do think there is a sort of how we position ourselves in the industry and i can see you know some of the comments about you know some of these things do sit with a ceo rather than a, a creative officer and i think you're abs absolutely right but i think there is a sort of sense where if you are in a creative business having the creative perspective as a someone who's operationally running the business as well is helpful i've always felt that everything works better in partnership so that i have to say that the title doesn't sit particularly comfortably with me um but uh i think i think pretty much i've got it because i'm the last uh i'm the oldest woman standing if you like so at some point if you stick around long enough someone will make you a chairwoman that's that's the way i see it but it is it is something where i i realized i had to change it was interesting it was the only moment in my career where i've sought coaching because i recognized i needed to to behave a bit differently and i recognized that what had got me there was not going to get me where i now needed to be in terms of being someone that the whole of the agency could feel i represented as well as the creatives and the creative work you know so i i did seek some support on how i should um how i should behave actually because i have probably always thrived on chaos which isn't great as a chair to create a culture of chaos it's not a good look so it were things like that that i did i i sort of sought some uh, you know some sessions to just talk stuff through and i found that was helpful it sort of managed to i always think my my brain is like a, a big squiggle and it managed to pull some of those strands out and make sense of them and and help me organize my thoughts and what i wanted to do and and really what i learned to do is plan a little bit more you know be a bit more thoughtful and respectful of people's time make sure i responded to things as they came in rather than sit on them because i i was affecting other people um so i just learned to be a bit more responsible and recognize the effect i had on other people which i suppose i'd never really 
spent the time to think about and therefore how I should behave so that people felt I was being respectful to their time and their contribution. This is incredible that you brought it up and especially around coaching and the kind of the new behaviors that you had to find. Uh, And as you said, what got you here won't get you to the next stage. And it's very hard to uh, suddenly change what has been successful for for so long Uh, and I appreciate you sharing uh, things that you had to change and I think creativity and chaos do come together very nicely Um, and I think at the senior level you have to figure out could you actually I'm very curious specifically about the point that you mentioned because I I think I'm not the only one who will say that I would struggle with the same of responding to people and considering how much responsibility is on anyone at a leadership position already responding to lots of things on time so how did you any life hacks or how did you figure out how to do respond to people on time with everything that you have in your place? Look, I, I, and people will laugh if they work with me because I, I probably, uh, you know, I don't do what I preach, but I try to, um, which is just just get back to people sort of instantly, even if you don't have a response, say, to just say, I've got it and I'll get back to you. To have the help of uh, um, people around you that can and sort of that you let them into your world a bit so that they can operate uh, with you um, and support you. I always said to my assistant that you're kind of me when I'm not there. And so there's some behaviors that I feel uncomfortable with you being like, and some that, you know, because I wouldn't do that, you know. So I think it's some of those things. And and I think this is where I've learned to, to set clear, clear roles and responsibilities, which as I say, none of this came naturally to me at all. And to really understand the power you have in a room uh, and try and be comfortable with that or use it properly. Learned to be the quietest person in the room rather than the noisiest because I'd always, I enjoy being in the moment and I live in the moment. And I think lots of how I deal with things are very much, I don't think about tomorrow or yesterday, I think about now. Actually thinking, well, maybe I should think a bit about tomorrow. <laughs> you know, things like that. So I think it was just a a, a stop. And, and another thing I learned was I would jump from one thing to another. And because I'm quite good in a, in the moment, uh, I was unprepared and I didn't get the most out of situations if I was having to lead it and set agendas so I learned to do that and then actually post sort of meetings or things I would take 10 minutes just to go and get a coffee and then process it in my head so that it sort of landed with actions that I thought I could do rather than what I would always in the past do is just move on to the next one and forget just move on uh so it was just becoming more disciplined really these are amazing tips. I love it. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Uh, look, months of coaching saved. Uh, <laughs> all the useful things from Kate directly. Uh, Hayden is asking, you mentioned the axiomaron of super competitive spaces and uh, encouraging people to feel free to fail. How do you deal with failure at Saatchi? I think uh, it's a really good question because culturally, Saatchi's was an environment that was a bit of a shock for you know so it was quite an aggressive culture so how do we deal with it um I think what I would say is provide the safety net so actually the truth is no one will ever fail because there's always a safety net and you provide that you provide that sort of sense that if 
you know, what does failure really look like? Ultimately, you know, like I said, making people feel responsible, but not ultimately leaving them out on their own. And I do think uh, providing a sense of security means that then people feel more comfortable with being experimental. But ultimately, you're going to pick you and the team will pick it up. And ultimately, you will take the rap, you know, so I, I think that that is the, the fine line. So failure, it, it is really hard. You know, you get bad news, you, you like you pitch for something, you don't get it. Actually, what you do is you spend some time going, let, let's look at why we didn't do that. Equally, let's look at when you have successes, let's analyze why we, we had a success as well. You know, so, so some of it is, is quite good. It's, it's maybe having a moment to just grieve a bit for a failure um, and just and then just go, right, what are the things that we can learn? You know, what, what I do believe, and I think we all probably can look back and go, it's when we've had failures that we've learned the most because it's pretty raw and you kind of pick through it. And interestingly, you don't do that when you have successes. So you probably learn more from failures than you do successes. And and maybe we should learn a bit about that. Just actually look at our successes so we can learn from those as well. Um, but I think don't to say it is OK, but, you know, make sure people always feel that they're not being exposed so that there is a sort of sense that actually failure will be everyone's failure. Uh, this is brilliant. And I, I love how you talk about providing the safety that yeah, fa- failure won't feel like a failure. I think this is a great perspective. Anna is asking, what would be your best advice to move from senior creative to more creative leadership role? I think it's such a good question that and, and you know, uh, one of the things I think is quite, I think maybe it's unique to sort of our industry, but there's a sense that your career needs to sort of go into these leadership roles to be from a creative to a creative director, from a creative director to a chief creative officer, et cetera, et cetera. And I do think they are fundamentally quite different skills. And so I really, you know, I think it's good to think about what are your core skills? Because I sort of realized that sort of I just loved sort of the things that I was being exposed to by being a creative director. And I realized I was actually pretty average as a creative. And and there's so many people that were better than me. And uh, but what I um, my copywriting partner hated the the role of creative leader. And he was a genius writer. And actually, but he felt the need to be doing those roles that he didn't that he didn't enjoy and therefore wasn't doing what he was really good at. So we talk a bit at work about playing in position. I think it is working out what is what is your superpower strength and working with it. And if giving it a go into creative leadership is it's it, it's sort of this, as I say, being a bit selfless. Um, you do move away from some of the craft or as a creative, but you gain so much with the sort of being uh you know in a role of directing stuff I personally love sort of the start of a process the sort of really wrestling with a fundamental problem that and I love the fact that sort of as a creative leader you're often the first up to get the problem full on from a client you know you're probably one of the first team to go into the the mess and I really like that, trying to to work through that. So I think there's different things that you find and you'll see it around you, but you you will leave behind some of the craft that you love, but you will gain a sort of sense of collectivism, a sense of um, of 
in many ways, uh, trying to get confidence in in your judgment as well, because that's, uh, you know, I had to learn to be much better editor of stuff of myself. Uh, obviously, haven't displayed that today. But I think sort of being quite, um, you know, one of the jobs of a creative is to be expansive, to invent, to originate. And, and one of the jobs of a leader is almost to distill and, and get and simplify. And, 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 and so they're, they're quite different, almost behaviors of the brain that you, you kind of learn as well. You know, there's a freedom that comes from that expansive thinking and there is a sort of discipline that you have to apply to creative leadership, I think. Uh, and you you are dealing with people more than just ideas. This is brilliant perspective. And uh, actually, it um, relates to the conversation we had with Fede Garcia as part of this leadership series. And he mentioned a wonderful story as a creative director that uh, he moved to Tokyo and he didn't speak Japanese. And he had to distill his feedback and everything to the shortest amount of words that definitely will be translated correctly. And he had said that was the best skill to learn as a creative leader, because you do need to be able to distill what you're trying to communicate to your client, partners, designers, team, to the easiest and most uh, comprehensive sentences and words. That's such good advice. Because, And I think this is it. It's this you know, how can I be the most succinct, the most useful, the most clear? And so it is being thoughtful about that. Uh, and actually, on a practical note, uh, just to follow up from this conversation. So let's say you've got all these skills, you realize you are good with people, you want to do this, you graded it. Like how, from the technical perspective, you ask to become a creative director or become one? Like any any advice on that when someone is like, I'm ready, I want to do this? I think, I mean, some sometimes. Um, whether you are being reviewed or whether you're reviewing, you know, I think that's, but one of the things I often do is talk to people about, you know, what their next 12 years, you know, what their next three years look like, um, how they would see. And if they do say, I would like to make that, I, I would like to make that jump. And I think it is a jump. Sometimes I go, right, what are the things we want to put in place? We want to make sure you've run a project. We want to make sure that you've done a pitch or, you know, what are the things that will that will arm you for that kind of responsibility? Uh, we want to, or to give you a big client that you just have autonomy on. You know, what are those things? Talking about safe, it's kind of what are those stepping stones to it? Uh, and so, I, you know, if you want to do it, I'd ask for those things. Can I have autonomy on running a, uh, an account or a project? Can I have responsibility for um, other creatives? And say, you know, and being clear about what you would like. Because I always found as well when I would review people that sometimes I'd I'd sort of, and it it, it sounds awful, but I'd, I'd prepare them for leaving as well. Because sometimes you have to leave to do it. You can't do it within your organisation. Uh, and and sometimes that's where you make your personal shift, because when you turn up somewhere else in a new role, people are prepared to believe you are that role because they haven't seen you in your past role. So sometimes it's a bit easier to do it like that as well. You can slightly invent yourself. Uh, and it's not because you're being uh, a fake. It's because you don't have the baggage of people having seen what you have previously been Love it. Reinventing your identity, like moving to a new school. And yeah. Yeah, a, a different person. <laughs> I want to finish with one question that we ask all of our amazing creative leaders, which is a little bit philosophical. So, Kate, if you could change one thing in the world, what would it be? 
Well, I just, I just think that's, I mean, I think given right now, it's very hard, a, a very difficult thing to change because I think we're, we're facing so many sort of forces at the moment that are, are pretty awful and terrible. So it seems rather self-indulgent. I really would like to see a much more inclusive and, and diverse industry. Is, and, and I feel that we are way too slow uh, to make our industry uh, as dynamic and exciting uh, with with representation of difference. So I think that would be, it sounds a bit like, yeah, but I think that would be, because I think we would just be that much better. That's why. And uh, I think you've been such an incredible, you've, you've been doing such incredible contribution to that by um, inspiring people by talking about uh, your role and your career and as you said many times, it's a lot about visibility and it's, it is about seeing people that look like you, that talk like you, that have uh, similar passions as you. And that's what will what make you want to go in a particular role or follow a career path. So thank you so, so much for being so open and sharing uh, your personal thoughts and, and being very authentic to who you are, because that uh, Definitely. I could relate to so many things that you were saying that I really appreciate you sharing everything that you've experienced. And thank you for, for finding time for, for these conversations, for mentorship, for, for everything that you do for the industry. That definitely. Oh, very, very kind words. And thank you for being such a brilliant host. Bye-bye.